1984 by George Orwell. A landmark novel on the ills of totalitarianism, governmental overreach, propaganda. Very much reflected in the times of the times. So let me give you a quick overview of the novel. So, bum, bum, bum. Whoopsie doodle. This is from wikipedia.org. Again, make sure to donate. 1984 is a dystopian social f- fucking <clears throat> is a dystopian social science fiction novel and cautionary tale written by English writer George Orwell. It was published on 8th of June 1949 by Secker and Warburg as Orwell's ninth and final book completed in his lifetime. Thematically, it centers on the consequences of totalitarianism, mass surveillance, and repressive regimentation of people and behaviors within society. Orwell, a democratic socialist, modeled the totalitarian government in the novel after Stalinist Russia and Nazi Germany. More broadly, the novel examines the role of truth and facts within politics and the ways in which they are manipulated. The story takes place in an imagined future, the year 1984 when much of the world has fallen victim to perpetual war, omnipresent government surveillance, historical negationism, historical negationism, I don't even know what the fuck that means, and propaganda. Great Britain, known as Airstrip 1, has become a province of the totalitarian superstate Oceana, ruled by the party who employ the Thought Police to persecute individuality and independent thinking. Big Brother, the dictatorial leader of Oceana, enjoys an intense cult of personality, manufactured by the party's excessive brainwashing techniques. The protagonist, Winston Smith, is a diligent and skillful rank-and-file worker and outer party member who secretly hates the party and dreams of rebellion. He enters into a forbidden relationship with his colleague, Julia, and starts to remember what life was like before the party came to power. That's kind of like a brief synopsis of the plot, storyline of 1984. And it eerily echoes. It eerily resembles the day and age in which we live in. Pandemic. You know? 2022. Wagwan, ladies and gentlemen. What's happening? It's your old chuckle buddy. Yes, you. Jonathan James Ramcharan. Reporting live for duty on this magnificent February 7th in the year of our Lord, 2022. Welcome and bienvenue to Jonathan Ramturan, the podcast. Oh, hey, how's it going? Good to see you. If you're new to the show, 
Jonathan Ramtran the podcast. This is a show where I bitch, whine, squawk, bellyache, and kibitz about myself in order to relate to y'all self. Y'all the dear listener. Y'all the dear viewer. Shared experiences, kindred souls, BFFs, forever. We talk like current events, the time to the time, entertainment, the whole kit and caboodle, folks, the whole wackadoo, the whole enchilada. You can't go wrong. I'm desperate. Please, I'm desperate. I need you. I love you. I want you. Stay with me. If you want to. If you should choose. The show is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Odyssey, my own website, Janathan, pronounced Janathan, Janathan. Ramcharan.com. And as always, folks, if you're enjoying the show, getting some laughs, chuckles, gags, guffaws, chortles, please, would you help my black ass out already? Share me with a friend. Sharing's caring, folks. You know it truly is. Yeah. And if you're a returning guest at JR the P, If you know, if you don't know, if you may or may not know, or maybe you surmised, I am an actor extraordinaire. That's being in the bone, ladies and gentlemen, and damn proud of it. In conjunction, conjunction, junction, what's your function? In conjunction with um, some of the programming that I'll be speaking on this episode. I want to speak of a monumental performer in the dramatic world of acting. A real fucking thespian, true and true. You know? Amazing. You know? The craftsmanship. The stature, the voice, the wasteril, wasteril, wasted talent. The whole messy, drunken, womanizing, stage-chewing fucking brilliance of this fucking derelict, miscreant, actor, thespian. We're talking... Richard Burton. Yes, all the world's a stage and all the men and women are merely players upon it. And the Ides of York now is the summer of my discontent. You know, he had like this mellifluence, mellifluous. For all y'all that don't know, mellifluous or mellifluous or however the fuck you pronounce it. That means Honey kind of like a honey pot you know a rich honey sweet mellifluous voice this fucking Richard Burton he, he was like this Welshman actor in a long line of uh, very talented Welsh actors I guess he was like amongst the first of them but some that come to mind are like Anthony Hopkins that's really about it that I can really think of off the top of my head but you know these fucking Welshmen, brilliant actors, as it were. Oh, I think, um, what's her tits? Uh, you know, the, she fucked 007. Money Penny. I'm a dragon. 
Losers do their best. Winners go home and fuck the prom queen. You're all the man now, dog. What's that Welsh bitch's name? She, she fucked 007. Sean Connery. What? Catherine Hepburn? What? Catherine's Catherine Zeta Jones. She was a Welsh ish. She was a Welsh woman. I believe she is. Now she's married to Michael Douglas. You know that Raven. That, ra- that that beautiful raven goddess, Catherine Zeta-Jones, circa like 1995. Like, you know, that, wow, you know? So like there's a long list of well-to-do Welsh thespians, if I'm not mistaken. So, what is so interesting about this Richard Burton character? Well, it's go into his uh, Wikipedia for a moment and uh, discuss. Richard Burton. Where is this? Here we go. This is from wikipedia.org. Make sure to donate. (coughs) Richard Burton, born Richard Walter Jenkins Jr., November 10th, 1925 to August 5th, 1984 was a Welsh actor noted for his mellifluous, as I mentioned, that honeypot, that mellifluous, mellifluous baritone voice. Burton established himself as a formidable Shakespearean actor. Would you shut up already? Poor moi, folks. Did somebody, did somebody order a wambulance? A wambulance. You think people would be dropping dead by the second the way these fucking fire trucks and ambulance are whizzing around during COVID-19? Type of shit that makes you sick to your stomach. Anyways, folks, pardon that. Wambulance. If you heard that in the background. Anyways, uh, Richard Burton... Formidable Shakespearean actor in the 1950s, and he gave a memorable performance of Hamlet in 1964. He was called the natural successor to Olivier by critic Kenneth Tynan. Let me stop there for a moment. I never saw what the big fucking deal was about Laurence Olivier. You know, I thought he was a little bit of a bitch, to be honest. Like, what was that movie Lawrence of Arabia? That movie sucked dick. I don't know what people went on and on about that movie for. That movie was boring as fuck. And he was creepy. and He was like a complete fucking sissy weirdo. He played like this real fucking... Like mama's boy type of fucking... I don't know. He was just a weirdo. He played like this cadet. or No, he played like this officer. Lawrence of Arabia or whatever the fuck. And... He was just a real weirdo. I watched like, I, I could only stomach like half an hour of that film. I was just bored to tears. I don't know what the fuck was so good about it. The only thing that was good about it was Obi-Wan Kenobi was in it. You know, Alec Guinness. I think he was in it as well. Aside from that, that movie sucked dick. I don't see what the big deal about Olivier was. Anyway. Um, but I mean, it is in some acting circles. He is considered quite renowned this uh olivier lawrence olivier 
I believe his name was. So anyways, um, Richard Burton was called the natural successor to Olivier. Burton's purported failure to live up to those expectations disappointed some critics and colleagues and added to his image as a great performer who had wasted his talent. Nevertheless, he's widely regarded as one of the most acclaimed actors of his generation. Richard Burton. You know, a long, a long laundry list of women in his wake, too. Married like ten times. Married uh, one, two, three, four times. More, married four times. Um, twice to Elizabeth Taylor. I guess they got divorced and remarried. Liz Taylor. Diamonds are forever. Is that her? Liz Taylor? Anyway, you know, he married Liz Taylor and... They were like the fucking Benifer, you know, uh, Ben Lowe, uh, what was that fucking other acronym? You know, you had Benifer, you had, uh, what was it, A-Lo, or A-Rod Lowe, or Lolo, Bradifer and Benifer, and he was amongst them like Richard Burton and uh, Liz Taylor. They were like one of the first Hollywood, well, not one of the first, but one of the most memorable Hollywood couples. They were just harassed by the paparazzi. The paparazzi were taking pictures of them left, right, and center. Uh... Here's a little bit about that. Burton's marriage to Taylor lasted from March 15th, 1964 to June 1974 and from August from October 1975 to July 29th, 1976. Their first wedding was at the Ritz-Carlton Hotel in Montreal. Of this marriage Taylor proclaimed, "I'm so happy, you can't believe it." This marriage will last forever. <clears throat> Little did she know. Their second wedding took place 16 months after their divorce in Shab National Park in Botswana. They had to go to Africa just to rekindle the old flame. Nothing like AIDS to spark some romance. Kidding. Um, Taylor and Eddie Fisher adopted daughter from Germany the relationship with Burton and Taylor portrayed in the film Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf was popularly link likened to their real-life marriage. Burton disagreed with others, but Taylor's famed beauty, saying that calling her the most beautiful woman in the world is absolute nonsense. She has wonderful eyes, but she has a double chin and an overdeveloped chest, and she's rather short in the leg. It's kind of deep. When describing one's betrothed, <laughs> he described her as um, having a double chin, overdeveloped chest, and rather short in the leg. In that mellifluous, in that mellifluous honeypot Welshman accent of his. Oh, yes. Uh, Liz Taylor, she, uh, 
She's not quite the most beautiful woman in the world. It's absolute nonsense. Rubbish. She has wonderful eyes, but she has a double chin and an overdeveloped chest. And she's rather short in the leg. And so on and so forth. Now, where the wasted, wasteriel talent comes in, and that's like the main crowning description of Burton, reminiscence of Burton, because I guess he really made his bones in the theater coming up. He gave these memorable Shakespearean performances, to which I don't know the documentation on that. Like, I don't know if there any of these were really filmed or not. But he was well-known in theater. Then at some point he transitioned over to film. And he was a drunkard, you know? Much like yours truly, I had a little bit of a problem with the bottle at one point in my life, you know? A a grimy, real-life grimy. But now the habit's behind me, you know? I was living life like a grimy, real-life grimy. Much like my man Richard Burton, you know, just a wastrel drunk, you know. So that's like the, the big statement of his career of like, what a wasted talent. That's what people tend to want to say. And, you know, Burton was an alcoholic most of his adult life. According to biographer Robert Sellers, at the height of his boozing in the mid-70s, he was knocking back three to four bottles of hard liquor a day. Not pretty. After nearly drinking himself to death during the shooting of The Klansman, 1974, Burton dried out at the St. John's Health Center in Santa Monica, California. Burton was allegedly inebriated while making the film, and many of his scenes had to be filmed with him sitting or lying down due to his inability to stand upright. In some scenes, he appears to slur his words or speak incoherently. Burton later said that he could not remember making the film. Co-star O.J. Simpson said there would be times when he couldn't move. Yeah, I guess he made a movie with the juice. O.J. Simpson, you know? Double murderer, allegedly or convictedly or in civil court, convictedly. O.J. Simpson. Yeah. According to his diaries, Burton used antabuse to try to stop his excessive consumption of alcohol, which he blamed for wrecking his marriage to Taylor. Burton himself said of the time leading up to his near loss of life, I was fairly sloshed for five years. I was up there with John Barrymore and Robert Newton. The ghosts of them were looking over my shoulder. He said that he turned to the bottle for solace. To burn up the flatness, the stale, empty, dull deadness one feels when one goes off stage. Yo, that's a perfect description of the drunken actor sentiment. You know, describe what life's for you, what life is like for you as a washed up drunken actor. Why do I drink? To burn up the flatness, the stale, empty, dull deadness one feels when one goes off stage. <sighs> Just breaks your fucking heart, pulls at your tongue, 
tugs at your heartstrings. It really does, you know? Tugs at the old heartstrings, especially if you've been through it. Like, if you've been really going through it as a drunken actor, as myself, such as myself, you can really fucking emphasize, empathize. You emphasize your empathy when reading such a statement. To burn up the flatness, the stale, empty, dull deadness that one feels when one goes off stage. Fucking been there, buddy. Breaks your heart. And there's blah, blah, blah. By the age of 41, he had declined so far in health that by his own admission, his arms were thin and weak. He suffered from bursitis, possibly aggravated by faulty treatment, arthritis, dermatitis, and cirrhosis of the liver, and kidney disease, as well as developing, by his mid-40s, a pronounced limp. But much of this was due to his intake of alcohol is impossible to ascertain. He was also a chain smoker with an intake of between three to five packs a day for most of his adult life. Health issues continued to plague him until his death at the age of 58. So how did he die? Richard Burton died at age 58 from intracerebral hemorrhage on August 5th, 1984 at his home in Silgingi. Switzerland, where he was later buried. Although his death was sudden, his health had been declining for several years and he suffered from constant and severe neck pain. As early as March 1970, he had been warned that his liver was enlarged and that he was diagnosed with cirrhosis and kidney disease in April 1981. Yeah. Yeah. So he passed of a cerebral hemorrhage at the age of 58 in Switzerland, August 5th, 1984. Coincidentally, his last film was 1984, which I'll be speaking on later in the program. And, you know, it's just a sad thing that I relate to as an actor and also... As one who used to, you know, partake in a little bit of swish. You know, one who used to, you know, look for meeting at the tail end of a bottle. You know, searching for meaning in the tail end of a bottle. You know, I've been there. And, uh, you know. It is quite sad because, you know. The first time I saw Richard Burton perform was in the film Candy, I believe. It was called Candy. It was like this 1970s sexploitation film, this sexual comedic romp of this like pretty blonde, dumb, young, dumb, full of cum. It was a real strange kind of romp. Fucking uh, Ringo Starr was in it as well. I don't know. It was it was really kind of a strange film. You know what I mean? Let me see. Candy, 1970. Candy, Richard 
Burton. Yeah. It was a film from 1968. And this, it was like this sex comedy whatever the fuck it was really strange film to be honest with you here's a synopsis a naive blonde beauty uwa allen meets a mexican gardener boozing welsh poet richard burn burton hunchback guru marlon brando marlon brando was in it as well surgeon and general there was like a lot of famous people in it marlon brando walter Matthau, richard burton John Houston, Ringo Starr, James Coburn, Buck Henry. There was all these famous people in it. It was like this strange sex comedy. But he plays like this Welsh poet, Richard Burton. And I remember when he came on screen, the magnetism, the fuck that he ever... Man, he just nailed his part. It was just well done, funny, satirical. And I was like, oh, Richard Burton. I've always heard of Richard Burton. And I knew the name as being like a famous classic actor. But then I started to look into his work. And it's it's sad in that that's why people, I think, call it wasted talent. I personally can't think of any crowning the performance. I mean, he was known for his stage work, his extensive Shakespearean stage work. Then he did a then he did a lot of films, popular films. He dated some very high-profile actresses, notably Elizabeth Taylor. But like what's the body of work? What's the legacy? Like, what's the film that's like his crowning achievement? You know, most classic actors have some very classic films. And he's a classic actor, but I mean, where's the classic film? I don't know. I mean, what's Eating Virginia Woolf? That was a very popular film when that came out, based on the stage play, I believe. It was good. I saw it. Then 1984, the film adaption of the George Orwell novel. He played um, O'Brien. He he turned in a very true-to-script, realistic performance. Didn't uh, ham it up too much. Kind of stayed in the pocket. And I think he did service to the novel. It was a good performance for the character. But I mean, it, it wasn't any... It, it to me would have been like a nice footnote on an already illustrious career. You know what I mean? Like... It's the kind of role that, oh, it's a nice footnote, it's a nice performance, but it's it's not really the bread and butter of the career, the crowning achievement. You know, it was just like this role that he did that was good, but I mean... So that's the sad part of it. The wasted talent, the drunken, debauched, to burn up the dead, dull, Deadness that one feels when one walks off stage. 
you know? Living life like a grimy, real life grimy. But now the habit's behind me. It's like, damn, you can relate to them days, boy. So I don't know. Richard Burton. Up there with them drunks. Them great drunk, drunken thespians of yesteryear. Yeah. Very interesting character. And, you know, I've wa- he's very interesting to watch and interview. Very charming and funny and witty and, you know, also very sad. You could just kind of see the sadness in him. The shyness, the awkwardness, the sadness. You know, and everything he overcame to, you know, he just, you know, he was a son of a poor Welsh coal miner. You know, and somehow he rose to be like one of the most famous, highest paid, you know, actors, sex symbols of his time. You know? They also mentioned in the Wikipedia article that, yeah, like, he was also somewhat of a sex symbol. He had that mellifluous honeypot Welsh baritone. He had a very athletic physique, a handsome, rugged face. But as the drinking took over, he, he thinned out, he developed a limp, he was chain-smoking, he just really deteriorated. So, I guess it's just a reminder for any career, whatever you do. We need to do our best for ourselves, you know? I don't know if I agree with the whole wasted talent and the wasteful talent. Well, no, I, I do. I do because I just, I. it's sad that that's the crowning, it's sad that that's the forefront of discussion when it comes to the name Richard Burton. From what I can tell, that's like what comes to the mind of most people when they talk about Richard Burton, the wasted talent. Died young at the age of 58, all these failed marriages, the health issues, all this from... being misguided in the drinking. So, hey, it's a reminder. And uh, I guess the beauty in it is that he did come very far considering his upbringing as a poor Welsh Coleman's coal miner's son and you know he made an impact on the world in his time and he did what he did and tragically he couldn't do more but you know I do have a lot of respect and interest in him and his story. 
And again, I'm mentioning this because it pertains to 1984, the George Orwell novel, which was adapted into a film in which Richard Burton played O'Brien, one of the sent one of the significant characters of the novel. Maybe at some point I'll do a deeper dive into Richard Burton to speak more at length. This is just a quick abridged version of Richard Burton, my personal knowledge of the man and his work. Um, you know, it's just, it is what it is. And I think it, I think it's just a nice reminder to any career, whatever you do that, you know, fuck what people say, but there's so much honesty in the truth. I don't like the fact that people seem to like to point out the fact that it was a wasted talent, Richard Burton, but it's true. Drank himself to death at the age of 58. Had the kind of career that any actor would dream of. And... But then again, man, going on them fucking benders is quite fun. You know, you play hard, you live fast. Fuck. You know? To burn up the dull, dead deadness that one feels when one walks off stage. R.I.P. Richard Burton. So there you have it, folks. Jonathan Ramcharan, actor extraordinaire. Yes, I am also a stand-up comedian extraordinaire. Eh. I'm uh, in a holding period. A lot of exciting things to come. A lot of exciting things to share with y'all, dear listeners of JR the P. And, you know, I'm chomping up to chomp at the bit, you know, get to some writing, get to percolating some new jokes. But, you know, due largely in part to pandemic, I am in somewhat of a holding period. Not really, but kind of. You know what I mean? So, I'm just going to ride it out, take it day by day. That's the main thing. I'm taking it day by day. Because it's all in the right time. And as long as I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, which I feel I am, it's good enough. It's going to have to suffice. If I could change the world, I would be the sunlight in your universe. You would really think my love was something. Baby, if I could change the world. If I could change the world. You know, I'd just have it my way. But, you know, as it sits, 
we take it day by day. Hallelujah. So there you have it, folks. Jonathan Ramcharan, stand-up comedian extraordinaire. Quick sip of water, balls. Don't mind me, balls. Nineteen eighty four George Orwell Monumental Book Fiction Literature That has Been Relevant in its time and relevant in the present time nineteen eighty four by George Orwell. Some of y'all might be familiar with that. You may have read this book in high school, part of your English class. I don't think I, I didn't read that one. I was, re- I was reading Goosebumps, I think. Was it Goosebumps? I think it was Goosebumps. Yeah, Goosebumps. That was a pretty scary. Those were pretty scary. Um, I, I, the one that really got me was the one with Slappy. You remember Slappy, the fucking... <laughs> Slappy, the little fucking dummy? Little dummy doll with that, <laughs> that fucking, that, them, them weird, you know, them, that fucking, you know, like them weird wooden chompers. You know, I had that weird chomper. You know, those them, them chompers. I'm, you know, a fucking wooden dummy. Anyways, I was reading Goosebumps. I didn't really get to 1984 in high school. Oh, no, you know, you don't read Goosebumps in high school, do you? Maybe I was reading, like, uh, I don't know, To Kill a Mockingbird or some shit. I don't fucking know. But anyway, 1984 by George Orwell. A landmark novel on the ills of totalitarianism, governmental overreach, propaganda. Very much reflected in the times of the times. So let me give you a quick overview of the novel. So, bum, bum, bum. Whoopsie doodle. This is from wikipedia.org. Again, make sure to donate. 1984 is a dystopian social f- fucking. <clears throat> is a dystopian social science fiction novel and cautionary tale. Written by English writer George Orwell. It was published on 8th of June, 1949, by Secker and Warburg, as Orwell's ninth and final book completed in his lifetime. Thematically, it centers on the consequences of totalitarianism, mass surveillance, and repressive regimentation of people and behaviors within society. Orwell, a democratic socialist, modeled the totalitarian government in the novel after Stalinist Russia and Nazi Germany. More broadly, the novel examines the role of truth and facts within politics and the ways in which they are manipulated. The story takes place in an imagined future, the year 1984 when much of the world has fallen victim to perpetual war, omnipresent government surveillance, historical 
historical negationism, I don't even know what the fuck that means, and propaganda. Great Britain, known as Airstrip 1, has become a province of the totalitarian superstate Oceana, ruled by the party who employ the thought police to persecute individuality and independent thinking. Big Brother, the dictatorial leader of Oceana, enjoys an intense cult of personality manufactured by the party's excessive brainwashing techniques. The protagonist, Winston Smith, is a diligent and skillful rank-and-file worker and outer party member who secretly hates the party and dreams of rebellion. He enters into a forbidden relationship with his colleague, Julia, and starts to remember what life was like before the party came to power. That's kind of like a brief synopsis of the plot storyline of 1984. And it eerily echoes, it eerily resembles the day and age in which we live in. Pandemic, you know, 2022. I mean, we've been having these Freedom Convoy um, rallies and protests here in Canada. Long-haul truckers in the dozens, in the hundreds, drove up to Parliament Hill, Ottawa, and they are presently camped out on the doorstep of our um, government, Parliament Hill in Ottawa. The protest is continuing. Throughout the nation, we've seen these protests. Here in Toronto, Canada, where I hail out of, I went for a walk yesterday, and I saw too. Different um, reminiscences, rem- reminiscences of a protest. There was a lot of police presence. There, there was a police dragnet set up. Intersections blocked off from top to tail. Just a grid of police security in the downtown area. It was like a police state. Big Brother's watching. How dare you stand up for your civil liberties and rights in this time? Take our word as gospel. We know it's better for you and your family. You're just an ignoramus. We're the government. So, you know, 1984. It, it, it very much echoes this time. And also with the censorship in media and the political correctness and the censoring of speech. You know? Much like, uh, you know, Rage Against the Machine. You know, they always sing about, you know. What controls the past now controls the future. Who controls the past now controls the present. Now testify. Now testify. 1984. Who controls the past controls the future. Who controls the present controls the past. That's the... uh, 
that's a slogan from the novel. Who controls the past controls the future. Who controls the present controls the past. That's what's going on in our society too with the censorship and removing of information. Very much what uh, the protagonist, Winston uh, Smith, that's what his job was in the uh, Ministry of Truth. His job was to like remove information from public media, newspaper, television, whatever, remove these articles and burn them, shaping the narrative, the future, the past and the future. Then there were like, um, you know, the thought police. It was like a thought in this dystopian world, George Orwell's 1984, the thought police. If you were suspected of having thoughts, you know, or speaking in a way in which you're having original thoughts, the thought police would, you know, knock on your door and whisk you away to be executed, tortured for having thoughts, just basic thoughts. That's how far the restriction of liberty and freedom and the grip of censorship, that's how far it reached to, um, you know, the thought police. It was a punishable crime by death to even think for yourself. It's certainly a punishable crime by public humiliation to think for yourself in this day and age, to have your own opinion on anything ranging from COVID-19 to, um, you know, gender issues to family structure to economy to anything, to voice your opinion in our democracy today is liable to get you executed in the court of public humiliation. You're an idiot. You need to do your research. You need to educate yourself. You need to learn your history. How dare you have a counter opinion to what we tell you? Did you do what they told you? Did you do what they told you? Fuck you, motherfucker! Who controls the past now? Controls the future? Who controls the future? Controls the past? Who controls the present now? Now testify! Now testify! It's right outside your door! You know, Rage Against the Machine? So, like, uh, you know, you're guilty in the court of public opinion for having your own fucking thoughts these days. And they can take things away from you, like your job, your livelihood. You become ostracized from your community. Nineteen eighty-four, George Orwell. Then there's things like, um, oh yeah, doublespeak. Doublespeak is like um, when they try to have you hold two contrary opposing viewpoints in the same breath. 
what's the definition of it? I have it here. Um, double think. So this is also from Wikipedia. Double think is a process of indoctrination whereby the subject is expected to simultaneously accept two mutually contradictory beliefs as correct, often in contravention to one's own memories or sense of reality. Doublethink is related to but differs from hypocrisy. George Orwell coined the term doublethink as part of the fictional language of Newspeak in the 1949 dystopian novel 1984. In the novel, its origins within the citizenry is unclear, while it could be partly a product of Big Brother's formal brainwashing programs. The novel explicitly shows people learning doublethink in newspeak due to peer pressure and a desire to fit in or gain status within the party, to be seen as a loyal party member. In the novel, for someone to even recognize, let alone mention, any contradiction within the context of the party line is akin to blasphemy and could subject this person to disciplinary action and the instant social disapproval of fellow party members. Like many aspects of the dystopian societies reflected in Orwell's writings, Orwell considered doublethink to be a feature of Soviet-style totalitarianism. Kind of much like what we're seeing with this COVID-19 information. A lot of doublethink. You know? It's like, we must wear masks at all moments, even though masks don't work. Masks don't work, but we must wear masks. Unmasking one is going to unmask problems, but these problems don't exist because, you know, the whole fucking double think about the whole fucking thing about it. You make me double think myself to death over here. Double dink. The hypocrisy, the con, uh, the uh, conflicting narrative, the contradiction. We see that with this whole COVID nineteen narrative. You know, you must be vaccinated even though vaccinations aren't 100% effective. You must be vaccinated to protect yourself from COVID-19, even though if you get vaccinated from COVID-19, you can still catch it. It's like a lot of double think, a lot of contradiction. And also, too, in people's viewpoints, you know, um, you know, what is a real man? What is a real woman? Well, no, this is what a real man is. But then that doesn't make sense because on the other hand, this is what a real man is or a real woman or a real this or that and da, 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 and this gender fluidity. It's like a lot of double talk mumbo jumbo. That's what it shapes up to, ladies and gentlemen. That is if you don't mind living in totalitarian states. Regimes. And, you know, it, it, go, it stretches even beyond just media and, you know, societal narratives. It's even popping up on menus, like cafeteria menus, like fast food menus. Like, I went into fucking, I went into fucking Tim Hortons the other day, and I'm, I went to get a fucking oatmeal raisin cookie. I was like, 
Hey, what happened to the oatmeal raisin cookies? The girl behind the counter, she's like, what oatmeal raisin cookies? I was like, the oatmeal raisin cookies that you guys are known and famed for. I mean, one of the highlights of my morning, most certainly in days past, was going to Tim Hortons, getting a coffee, and an oatmeal raisin cookie. They're delicious, right? So I'm asking the lady, I'm like, what happened to the oatmeal raisin cookies? It seems like there's no oatmeal raisin cookies anymore. It's like you can't find a fucking oatmeal raisin cookie to save your life anymore. What happened to the oatmeal raisin cookies? She goes, what? Oatmeal raisin cookies. They don't got to burn the books. They just remove them. They don't got to fucking burn the oatmeal raisin cookies. They just remove them. There's a lot of this double think, double talk, double mumbo jumbo going on. They have no idea what happened to the raisin meal, oatmeal raisin cookies. And I'm sick of it. You know what I mean? Living in this totalitarian regime, double think society where, you know, they're, they're masking what happened to the oatmeal raisin cookies. There's something, something's, something, something's going on with these oatmeal raisin cookies. Because they were like the best cookies. Much better than the chocolate chip. I mean, the chocolate chip cookies at Tim Hortons are pretty good. But... I mean, the oatmeal raisin cookies. Out of this world. You know, they don't got to burn the books. They just remove them. They don't got to burn the oatmeal raisin cookies. They just remove them. Rip it up. Tear it up. Burn the record. They never even existed. What happened to the oatmeal raisin cookies? I really like the oatmeal, ra- ra- oatmeal raisin cookies. They don't have them anymore. What happened to them? What? Oatmeal raisin cookies. We only have chocolate chip. Something's going on, folks. Hey! There's something awfully squooey going on around here. Uh, oh, that wascoey wabbit. There's something awfully squooey going on around here. Awfully screwy. What happened to the oatmeal raisin cookies? Think about that. Riddle me that. So again, 1984... Um, I don't have to say it. This is like a book that's in the societal psyche while it's still, <laughs> until they remove it, you know, until we double talk and double think our way out of it. It's a book that's been in the societal psyche for many years. And it's just a landmark book. And, you know, Orwell's writing too. I'm um, just a very funny and satirical and dark just real real biting he you know he had, he had a real way with a pen that orwell had a real cynic bite to it very enjoyable read and it flows really nice just beautiful prose as well it had just a flow to it a fun enjoyable read kind of a strange way to <laughs> Describe a, you know, dystopia, totalitarian world, you know, a fun, interesting read, but it, it had a way of flowing that was just very enjoyable, very dark and cynical and a real page turner, 1984. It was later adapted into, well, actually it was adapted in several incarnations. In the 50s, 
the BBC, Hollywood Studios. They also produced um, 1984, the film ad- adaption. The two film adaptions that I saw brief snippets from were centered in, um, that were made in like the 1950s. They seem to center the film on a dystopian world caused by atomic holocaust, nuclear holocaust, which isn't quite the case of 1984. From what I can gather, it's just a dystopian world in perpetual war. There's not so much of an emphasis on atomic war or holocaust. So the 1950s film adaptions, they weren't the greatest. I saw brief snippets of them on YouTube. They weren't so great. They, they focused on atomic war, which wasn't really in the novel. And they also focused on... They, they changed the format and the narrative. And they, 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 you know, they, they didn't really stay true to the book chronologically. So there was, there was a lot of fuckery going on with the story itself, which made me kind of disinterested. Because the only reason why you'd watch it is if it was faithful to the book. The book is obviously going to overshadow the film. It's a classic book. That's why they adapted it into a film. So why fuck with the formula? Stick to the story. Right? So the 1950s versions that I saw weren't quite good. But the 1984 version of... 1984 the 1984 film adaption of 1984 was quite good um this film was uh you know it was let me take a look here 1984 film one moment folks so the film uh this is from wikipedia the film was uh, directed, it was released in 1984, directed by Michael Radford, starring John Hurt, Richard Burton, as I mentioned earlier, Susanna Hamilton, Cyril Cusack. So this 1984 adaption of 1984 was quite good. Faithful to the novel. Stylistically, in a cinematic sense, really captured that dystopia, that crumbled society, that it was almost a complete, like kind of what I pictured in my head while reading the novel was very close to what was represented in the film. So the 1984 version is quite good of 1984. Only thing is, The film, I would say, doesn't quite stand alone, which makes sense. The only reason why you would really watch the film is if you read the book. I would highly suggest read the book first, then the film. Because some of the concepts we spoke about, like thought police and thought crime, a lot of the story is from the POV of, point of view of Winston's inner thoughts. There wasn't so much dialogue always in the novel because it was a crime. 
It was a crime to have... The dialogue was very manufactured and sparse. You know, how are you today, sir? Oh, I'm good. Long live big brother. Yeah, comrade. And then it would go into like this inner monologue where Winston's thinking and talking, thinking about his experiences and this, that, and the other. So, the film is quite good, the 1984 version of 1984. I would suggest reading the film. I would suggest reading the book first. Because the film, as good as it is, I don't think it stands alone without reading the book. Because the enjoyment in watching the film is like, oh yeah, I remember this from the book, and oh, I see, and that's an interesting way in which they did it. But without reading the book... I think a lot of it would I think a lot of it would be missed. It would just be like a strange dystopian world. And a lot of the nuance of the book would be lost if you just read if you just watch the film. Yeah. So, and again, I don't have to tell you to you this is like a classic piece of literature. 1984 by George Orwell. Definitely worth a peruse if you haven't already. And, you know, don't feel bad if you didn't. You know, like myself, like I said, I was reading Goosebumps. I was reading Goosebumps at the time. So, like, you know, like I said, in high school, you know, different classes read different books. So, like, you know, one class was reading 1984. My class was reading Goosebumps, I think. So, you know, if you didn't get around to reading it in high school, no big deal. Now's the perfect opportunity. 1984 by George Orwell. Fantastic novel. Very fitting for our times as well. So please, folks, do check this out when you get the chance. I Well, that about does it for another episode of J.R. the P. Jonathan Ramtran the podcast. Many, and I'm talking revelation. I'm talking a kaboom, a thunderbolt up my sleeve for y'all. Once I drop that motherfucker, I'll be able to get onto other things. Thank you very much for your due diligence, your listenership, your viewership. Um, hey, we're still in the early spot, the early spot of 2022. All the best to you and yours. Go grab that year, this year. Go grab it by the short and curlies. All right? Grab it by the pussy. <laughs> and, you know, this is the perfect chance to, you know, break free of this double-think, thought-police, totalitarian regime that's been created in our world, in our worldview, you know, during this pandemic. A time for us to stand up as the people that we are and live in a democracy and live in the choice in our freedoms in society. 
Hallelujah. It's your old chuckle buddy, guess who? Jonathan James Ramcharan. Reporting live for duty on this magnificent February uh, 7th in the year of our Lord, 2022. 1984. By uh, George Orwell. The film, directed by Michael Radford, soundtrack by uh, the Eurythmics. Sweet dreams are made of these. Room with my tune is hungry. You know, 1984, the film. 1984, the novel, classic novel. Check it out. The show is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Odyssey, my own website, jonathan-ramcharan.com. And as always, if you're enjoying the show, getting some laughs, chuckles, gags, guffaws, turtles, please help my black ass out. Share me with a friend. Till next time, folks. You live it. You love it. You realize it. Aight. Peace.